Hope. We, we use the word all the time in, in so many different ways, don't we? I hope it's a good sermon today. I hope it's not too long. I hope I get into that college. I hope she says yes to me. I hope the marriage works out. I hope he never wears that shirt again. I mean, there, there, there's, there's so many different ways that we can use this word. And sometimes by overusing a word, it causes it to lose its really true, true meaning. I, I think we almost need a different word in the Bible to really understand the power and the purpose of this word hope. Because most of us, we do. We just overuse it. And it's, and it's more of a kind of whiff. I wish upon a falling star. You know, kind of this holy hopefulness. But the definition of hope really is, it's something of a degree of probability that something is actually going to happen. Biblically, it is the absolute expectation of coming good. That God's up to something and he's going to bring it about. There's like a, a gravitational pull to the future because I believe in the goodness of God and the good things that he's going to do in and through my life. And see Neil straight said this about hope. Take from a person their wealth and you hinder them. Take their purpose and you slow them down, but take from a person their hope and you stop them. They can go on without wealth. They can even live without purpose for a while, but they will not go on without hope. In literature, the writer Emily Dickinson put it this way, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. While that's pretty flowery and, and eloquent, there's a great truth in there. There's something within us, she's saying, uh, that can continue on to make music. It's perched in our soul, hope that we can continue to make music even in the most difficult of times or circumstances. In theology, Emil Bruner, a European theologian, said it this way, what oxygen is to the lungs, such as hope, for the meaning of life. And C.S. Lewis made a profound statement when he said, hope means a continual looking forward to the eternal world. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians that did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. <coughs> Excuse me. Did you get that? We become so focused on the here and now and lose sight of eternity and it affects how we live and see the present. So many people today live with hopelessness. I'm sure that by just the thought of that word, there would be people here today sitting around these tables that you would say, yeah, that's kind of me. I don't have a lot of hope moving into this season or this time of my life. I, I need something of, I need something of hope. Did you know that in the United States, <clears throat> probably one of the most wonderful places in the world to live, 33, over 33,000 people a year take their lives? I mean, consider just a little over a week ago, a week ago yesterday, a young man 
who we would look at from the outside <clears throat> and believe that he had everything in this world to live for. Javon Belcher, who was a linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs. What did he do? Well, he probably made a, he, he, he lived his dream, lived his passion. He was playing football in the National Football League. Probably making a very tidy income, living large, doing all right. He had a fiancé, <coughs> excuse me, fiancé, and they just had a three, three-month-old little girl together. Excuse me, one second. <coughs> I'm actually feeling much better. I just don't sound it. <coughs> they have a three-month-old daughter together. And what does he do? Somehow, some way, and, and they don't know for sure yet, or at least I haven't read it, but he becomes so hopeless that he went and he murdered the fiancé. And then he went to the training quarters and met with the coach. <clears throat> Called to the parking lot with the coach and the general manager. Took time enough to say, thank you for the opportunity that you've given me. <clears throat> and he walked away and killed himself right in front of him. Talk about a sense of hopelessness. But how many people, 33,000 a year, that live without hope? Dr. Carl Menninger said it this way, the best thing a psychiatrist can do for his patients is to light them a candle of hope to show them the possibilities that may become sound expectations. See, that's part of what hope is. It's sound expectations for the future. So how do we light candles of hope in this world that we live in? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, early part of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are to be salt and light of the world. Well, what does salt do? Back in that day, they would use it as a preservative. They would rub it on the meat to, to preserve it for as long as possible. But then he said, you're also going to be a light, a candle. You're going to be uh, set on this hill. You're not going to be hidden away. Well, what does light do? It illuminates darkness. Darkness never overcomes the light. But these lights, it comes in, and wherever there's darkness, wherever we go, loved ones, we step into it, and we should be that light, that candle. Light also has an energy to it. It's got healing powers. Even for people with depression, they have, they have light energy that they, they use as a, as a source of healing. Laser is they use it for surgery. Light has great power. That's what we're called to be. We're also called not only to be light, but to be agents of hope. The Bible speaks of this whole idea of hope. In the New Testament, there's over 90 references concerning it. And I want to look at one of the theologians today by the name of the Apostle Paul, who talks about it over 50 times alone in his writings. This is a guy that, if you wanted to look at him, he probably could have been called Paul the Tribulation guy. But if you read his writings, you understand he's really Paul the man of hope because he went through so much, but he continually pulled the church and people forward into this idea and understanding of hope. He said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, at that time, you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you weren't part of God's chosen people. You were strangers from the covenants of promise that God made to his people. And he says, having no hope and without God, in the world. Well, what's he saying? He, bottom line, he's saying, if you don't have God, you don't have hope. Those two 
always go together. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I got friends, I know people, I got family members. They sure seem to have a pretty good amount of hope, but I know they don't have God. Well, that's where we come back to understanding what the real meaning of hope is. See, there's a big difference between how the world sees hope and how a Christ follower uses the word hope. Real hope, based on God's eternal word, has to do with someone and something moving forward. The life of God in our life. It sees this world beyond what we see. It's it's an eternal existence and focus that gives us hope, not only because our past is taken care of in Christ, but we have hope for the present, knowing that we're going to have a better future in Christ. Larry Hagman, who recently died, was asked, he he played J.R. Ewing, and they asked him, Larry, if, if J.R. Ewing had to have something on his tombstone, what it would it be? To which Hagman said, he finally met a deal that he couldn't do. He couldn't connive. He couldn't control. He couldn't buy his way out of death. That was the final deal. And that's the way it is for you and I as well, isn't it? It's coming. We're going to face it. We have to live with it. We've got to deal with it. And without God, see, people live with that sense of their hope is this. Oh, boy, I hope, I hope there's a heaven. I hope there's a God. I hope I get to go. There's no absolute sure, sureness in that. So they really don't have the ultimate hope that the Bible talks about. I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad and maybe the, the guy upstairs will let me in. That's not the kind of hope the Bible gives us. Romans 15, 4 says this. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement. And as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. This season is about promises that happened hundreds, centuries before it was ever fulfilled in the advent and the coming of Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you understand that prophets were prophesying and speaking there's going to come a day when Jesus, when Yeshua, the Savior of the world, is going to come and be born. And then there was this period of 400 years that nothing was said by the prophets. Think about that. Almost twice as long as the history of the United States, God's people didn't hear from the prophets. There was no more prophetic utterances of hope. But one day, this angel comes on the scene, comes to this little virgin, probably a little teenager, anywhere from 14 to 18 years old, Mary. And says to her, you, Mary, full of grace, you are going to, you are going to miraculously, supernaturally experience the impregnation by the Holy Spirit and give birth to Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the the Savior of the world. Now, can you imagine that? This here, Romans 15, talks about the encouragement from the word. Somehow, some way, and a lot of girls at that time for many years had been anticipating, maybe I'll be the one who gives birth to the Messiah. But they had to believe it. They had to live with hope. And can you see how that happened with Mary? 
So what does she say? She hears this when, you know, this proclamation from the angel, Mary, full of grace. And she's kind of like, who, me, what, how? And, And I think most of us would do that. But can I tell you something? Mary was no better than we are. She's a human just like us. And that's the power of the grace of God coming into and for our lives. And this is what she says after the angel is kind of given the proclamation announcement. I love this. It's one of my favorite scriptures for Christmas. Mary says to them, okay, let it be unto me according to your word. What you've just said, angel, the proclamation, the prophetic enunciation that you've made, let it be, let it be part of me. I'm gonna live that out. Now get this, she had to live she had to wait for the impregna- being impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and then she had to live the rest of her life watching it unfold. She lived with hope because that's the only way that she could get from that time with the angel to where Jesus dies on the cross. See, this hope starts with God as we come into a relationship with him. Romans 8.24 says that we were given this hope when we were saved. It's something that we're given. Listen, friends, you don't earn it. You can't PMA it. You know, positive mental attitude. People think that hope maybe he's got this positive mental attitude. Oh, I'm going to be a person of hope, be a person of hope. No, 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 no. You can improve it with a good attitude, maybe. But ultimately, it is systemic to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So how do we get it? What's the process that we go through? Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 5. And we're going to look at the first five verses. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the scriptures up here. But we're going to kind of just quickly go through the process of, well, how do we get this hope if it is systemic and comes from the person of Jesus Christ? Let's read verses one through three. It says this, therefore, the apostle Paul has just kind of given a polemic and an argument for salvation. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, our faith, your faith, Nothing that we do. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we see here, it is systemic too. It starts with what Christ Jesus has done for us. We have peace with God because of our faith, putting our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, a relationship with him where we begin to walk with him. See, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. It doesn't come because of anything you do other than responding to Jesus Christ. You can't get it by being good enough. You can't get it by trying harder. You can't do it by good deeds. And I mean, just line it up, do your best. It is the unmerited favor and mercy of Jesus Christ. Paul says that's what gives us confidence and joy to share in his goodness and his glory. Because see, friends, if we forget that, if we don't believe that, you know what? There's a couple of things that will happen. We'll always be working really hard to try and please and impress God. Or we'll think that if I do just enough, that's going to secure where I go in heaven. Or that's that's going to put me in right relationship. When the truth is, it is simply putting your faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. It's not what you do, it's what he has done. 
And Romans 5, 3 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Really? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Greek tribulations there is the, it's the word thalepsis, which means crushings. It's the, it's the idea, the, the picture of it is when they would crush the, the olives with heavy rocks in order to extract the oil out of it in the Mediterranean region. And he says, listen, have no doubt that when you come to Jesus Christ, guess what? You're still going to face tribulations, trials, and difficulties. But he says, this is the difference between you and the world because of hope. Guess what? You can rejoice in them. Woohoo, huh? How many of you, the last time something bad came your way, said, Yee-hoo, thank you, God. Bring it on. I have not done that. I do not do that. But I am learning. I am learning how to at least be joyful and rejoice in the midst of difficult times and circumstances. Because over time you realize, you know what, you really can't change them, a lot of them. Now, if you brought them on yourself, that's one thing, but you can still grow and learn through them. But Paul's saying this is totally counterintuitive to how we think and how we live. But being part of Jesus Christ and being a follower of him He's saying, we're not going to rejoice for the trials. Hear me, we don't do that. We don't say, oh, thank you, God, for this trial. I'm just loving it. No, we say, in the midst of this trial, I'm going to thank God for it. Because you know what? I've got this thing called hope that's going to pull me forward. Now, does anybody here have any trials or tribulations or difficulties right now? Do you? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think, do you? If you do, say, oh, good. You know why? Yes, because you're on your way to hope. You are on your way to hope. And now you go, oh, thanks, preacher. I really didn't want to hear that. (laughs) But it's true. Because, see, this leads us back to Jesus. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know what Gethsemane means? It means oil press. What happened to Jesus there? He got pressed to the maximum. He comes there and he is under so much stress and pressure because he knows he's taken on our sins. The sins of all humanity for all time are gonna be laid on the holy back of God. He's gonna be rejected by his father. He's gonna experience the most excruciating death that man has ever devised. And so he's sitting there in this garden and he's sweating, he's stressed, pressure crushed, blood's being extracted out of his forehead. And what does he say? He's ready to give it up. God, if there's any way I cannot do that, and then all of a sudden something happens. And I wonder if it isn't just a, a dose of hope that kicks in because he goes, ah, this is about humanity. This is why I came to be the savior of the world. And what does he do? Father, not my will, but your will be done. And in the midst of that crushing, difficult time, what does he do? He keeps going because he submits to the Father and he's got a bigger perspective, a longer range hope for you, for you, for you, for me, 
for everybody. So see, we can rejoice because we know our problems and our trials help us develop perseverance and endurance. We get through this and we move forward just like Jesus did. The word there uh, for patience is, is hupomone. And it has the idea that, that our patience grows with every trial that we face, every difficult time that we experience. And as we are allowing Jesus to be the hope, Christ in you, Colossians 1, the hope of glory, as we begin to experience that, guess what happens? We begin to become more patient, able to endure more. Why? Because we understand this. It isn't about what's going on right now as much as it's about what God is going to do in and through that right now for down the road. He's working at something in you, friends. He's working at something and building something in me and you whenever we go through those crushing times. Romans 5.4 says this. It's to produce perseverance and then perseverance, character, and character, what's the last word? Hope. See, patience and endurance builds character in your life. How do you become a person of integrity, a whole person, a kind of person that people are going to begin to look up to, trust in, want to embrace, want to look to in difficult, tough times? It's because you're able and you walk through these steps of problems. Trial and tribulation comes. You feel crushed, but you endure, and then you have patience, and then your character gets strengthened, and it leads to the hope, growing hope, not only in who Jesus is for you now, but what he's got for you in the future. So here's the good news, bad news. Hope is available, but it comes through this process. Romans, six, uh, Romans 5, 5 says this. Now, hope does not disappoint. That's a great word. When you have hope in Jesus, you're not going to be disappointed because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks. Do you, do I, do we really know even just a glimpse of how much God loves us. Do you have any idea of how much God loves you? And you. And you. We come here, we sing about it, sometimes we feel it, but do we really grow in our grasp of understanding that he loves me? This is so important as you go through this process because when you forget God's love, then you'll begin to blame God for the process that you're in. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, they, uh, in Time Magazine, if you subscribe to it, you know they have a, a section called 10 Questions uh, each week. And what they do is they take somebody and uh, they um, let people know that you can ask a question from all over the world and they take 10 questions, and they asked this person each week. Well, it was back in March of 20, uh, 2010 that uh, Desmond Tutu, who is the uh, first black archbishop of, of South Africa, 
They had him do the twin uh, 10 questions, a brilliant, godly, wonderful, gracious man who's probably, I think, 85 or 86 now and retired, but just a, a, a really helped spearhead and, and, and take on the fight and the cause for apartheid, uh, against apartheid in, in South Africa. And just, just a godly, wonderful man. And they asked him the 10 questions. I want to share two of them with you today. First, one of the questions they asked him was this. Uh, they said, Archbishop, what is your favorite Bible verse and why? This is what he said. He said, Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because it sums up the gospel wonderfully. We think we have to impress God so that God will love us. But he says, no, no, no. You are already loved, even at your worst. And see, I don't know about you, but when I realize that and remember that, that motivates me to say, oh, God, I just want to give you my best, do my best, live my best for you. Because you did. You loved me at my worst. And I just got to tell you, that motivates me probably more than anything. To please this God that loves me. Please this God that has given me hope for my life, for my future. Uh, some of you in this room for service, a lot of, there's a number of Creeksiders who are involved in education. Uh, there's a story of Aaron Gruel who, who went to this tough, tough inner city school, gang, drug problems, illiteracy. She was 23 years, years old and she decided I can make a difference in one school, in the lives of a number of students. She believed that she could get these high school students to enjoy reading literature, to enjoy writing, to enjoy writing poetry, and to tell their stories. And her story is told in the movie Freedom uh, Writers. Would you watch this clip? Man, I have a boyfriend since I was like 11, you know? I believe. <laughs> okay, well, I was always the person that was going to get pregnant before I turned 16 and drop out. Like my mom. Ain't going to happen. Nobody ever listens to a teenager. No, everybody thinks you should be happy just because you're young. They don't see the wars that we fight every single day. And one day my war will end. And I will not die. And I will not tolerate abuse from anyone. <laughs> I am strong. My mom's kicked me out when I got jumped into the gang life. But I like her to see me graduate. I like to be 18. Ms. G, carry something from my diary? That'd be great. Oh, is he? Man, he's been with us since freshman year, fool. What's his name? I don't know. The summer was the worst summer in my short 14 years of life. It all started with a phone call. My mother was crying and begging, asking for more time. I said she were gasping for her last breath of air. She held me as tight as she could and cried. Her tears hit my shirt like bullets and told me we were being evicted. She kept apologizing to me. I thought I have no home. 
I should have asked for something less expensive at Christmas. On the morning of the eviction, a hard knock on the door woke me up. The sheriff was there to do his job. I looked up at the sky, waiting for something to happen. My mother has no family to lean on, no money coming in. Why bother coming to school or getting good grades if I'm homeless? The bus stops in front of the school. I feel like throwing up. I'm wearing clothes from last year, some old shoes and no new haircut. I kept thinking I could laugh then. Instead, I'm greeted by a couple of friends who were in my English class last year. And it hits me, Mrs. Gurwa, my crazy English teacher from last year, is the only person that made me think of hope. Talking with friends about last year's English and our trips, I began to feel better. I received my schedule, and the first teacher is Mrs. Gerwan, room 203. I walk into the room and feel as though all the problems in life are not so important anymore. I am home. Yes, you are. Young man, <clears throat> can't remember his name, didn't even know he was in this class. What did he say? Did you catch it? Miss Gruel is the one that made me think of hope. Pastor Tim Keller from New York City says this. Here's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in a sentence. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. In your hope, loved ones, in our hope, we can be one who can share the good news, light the candles, and give people hope around us because of the hope that we have in us through the person of Jesus Christ. Imagine you, imagine us, imagine me, imagine we being seed throwers and fire starters, hope peddlers, grace givers, risk takers, dreamers, young and old, middle-aged alike to empower the poor, strengthen the weak, embrace the outcast, seek the lost. A people in community like this that we serve together, we play together, we worship together, we do band of brothers and soul sisters together, we live life together. Our city can be different because we are the hope bearers of the hope giver. That's us. And we can never forget, loved ones, that whatever we go through can strengthen us to give us endurance to help other people to give them hope, to share with people, to be transfixed by the simple story of Jesus Christ that we're never hopeless. Paul said in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those he called, his holy people. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians Paul's prayer for the Creeksiders is that at the very core of our lives and our hearts would be flooded with light so that we could fully understand the confident hope that God gives us. 
He builds this into the very fabric of our heart. Because as we run this, what the Bible calls this race, it is not a sprint. And whether we get 40 or 60 or 80 or 100 years, stuff happens. And the only way that we can make it through the marathon of life is to have hope that Jesus Christ brings to us. Why do so many people quit? Why do so many people give up? Why are so many people overcome in this thing called the Christian life? Can I tell you why I believe it is? It's because they begin to focus on the temporal and the material instead of the eternal. They get so caught up in everything that happens right here and now that as C.S. Lewis says, when you lose sight of the eternal, it's a pretty tough go right here. This isn't the end. This isn't the final period. This is simply going to be a comma. And if you focus on the here and now, I guarantee you're going to get some pretty strong seasons of depression and discouragement and despondency. The Bible is clear, loved ones. We find our hope in Jesus Christ. Paul said to Timothy, first thing he says to the pastor that he mentored and left at the church of Ephesus. He says in 1 Timothy 1.1, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior in Christ Jesus. Listen, who gives us hope? He says Jesus is our hope. If you don't feel hopeful today, where do you find it? Can I tell you something? You can't come here necessarily and get it. You can't go to a, a Black Friday and buy it. It's not on sale. You get it from Jesus Christ and you ask for it and you receive it because he says, I'm going to give it to you. But some of us have to believe that. Some of us have to do a Mary. Okay, God, let it be unto me according to your word. I know you've got promises for me and it may take a while, but I'm going to believe for them. Would you just take a moment there and you're just in the kind of sanctuary of your own little space right there? Maybe you need hope. Maybe you're feeling hopeless or not hopeful. But just take a moment and say, Jesus, this is my situation. Would you give me the hope that Paul talks about throughout the New Testament? Just go ahead and take a moment. Friends, the reason we do what we do, the reason we gather today, everything we do about church ultimately is systemic to this truth in 1 Timothy 4.10. Paul says, in fact, we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of the world, especially those who believe. 
The reason for Christmas, the reason Jesus came was to be the savior of the world. Matthew 1, 21 through 23 says this, that he came to save his people from their sins and that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. Colossians 1 then says in verse 27 that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you have Christ in you, then that hope should begin to well up. You have access to it. Another question that was asked of uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu was this. After all you've seen and endured, are you really as optimistic as your book, Made for Goodness, says you are? That's always the question a lot of times, you know, the preachers and religious leaders are asked, you know, are you really real? Is it true? Do you believe what you preach? This is his answer. He says, no, I'm not optimistic. I'm quite different. Catch this. He says, I am hopeful. I am a prisoner of hope. He says, I'm ca-. he doesn't say this, but what he's really saying is that a prisoner of hope, I'm captive to it. It won't let me go. I'm embraced by it. It won't release me. I'm a prisoner of hope. And he says, in the world, you have very bad people. You've had Hitler. You've had Idi Amin. And they look like they are going to win. But all of them, all of them have bitten the dust. Ultimately, loved ones, the wrong fails and the right prevails. The fact is, is there's so many times where we want to give up hope due to what we see, what we experience. But when you are walking and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, while there are no guarantees of the outcome, the guarantee is, is that you have hope. And never forget that this Romans 5 process is simply God preparing you for what he has prepared for you. I had somebody come up to me after first service said, Pastor, he almost drowned in the ocean recently with him and his son and they had to be rescued after being out there for an hour. And he says, more than ever, I know that God has a purpose for me. And I said, friend, don't ever forget that. And every one of you in this room, you are here to simply hear God's got a purpose for you. It doesn't have to be big neon lights, but there's purpose. And this hope giver wants you to be a hope giver. And we've got to trust in God's word. Remember when Mary dedicated Jesus at the temple? Mary and Joseph went and they dedicated him. And there was this guy, his name was Simeon, who said, I have been looking. I have been looking for the consolation of Israel. And I would not die until I see him. And so this old man, he goes up and he sees Jesus. And he, you know, the idea, now he can die because he's seen this take place. He's seen this child. He's looking at him. And as he begins to make these prophetic utterances over Jesus, he turns to Mary and one of his last words was, oh, and because of this child, a sword is going to pierce your soul. Can you imagine that? Oh, thanks for all these good, oh, my baby's going to cause that? That's not exactly the words a mother wants to hear as she's dedicating her child. 
Imagine me up here. Oh, by the way, you know what? This is going to hurt so bad down the road. You're just not going to be, it's going to just want to kill you. But what does she do? Luke 1, before that, it talks about how she treasured and pondered everything that was said. Can I tell you why? I believe it's because it's what gave her hope to get through what she went through. This is what she went through with Jesus. When Jesus was 12, they forgot him at the temple. They went back to get him. And when, they, when she found him, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus said, listen, I got to be about my father's business. Think about the implication of that statement to his mother. He's not being some rebellious little 12-year-old. What he's saying is, is my father, my heavenly father's business is more important than you and my family. Oh, it's a little dagger from mama. And then Jesus is teaching away and the disciples are around and there's probably a good crowd and, and his mother's there and some of the other ladies and the disciples and the followers and somebody pops up, pipes up and says, who's your brothers, who's your mother, who's your sisters? And Jesus says, my brothers and my sisters are the disciples, the ones who will do my will. You see, hear the implication? Mama's no more important than his disciples. Ugh. Another dagger. I'm just one of the followers, and, and I better be one of those. And then he's on the cross, and he's dying. A bloody, wretched mess, calling out to his father. And he's dying on the cross. And she's there, sitting there, standing there, watching it. And you've got to know that as Jesus gets his side pierced and punctured with a sword, her heart is broken and her soul is being pierced. What keeps her as a little virgin teenager moving through all the rejection and pain and abuse that Jesus took? Can I tell you what I believe it is? It's hope. She hoped and she was encouraged by, blessed are you, Mary, full of grace. You're going to be the mother. How many of you have got a promise today that you said, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Keep waiting. Keep being encouraged. Have hope that God's going to bring it about. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't be overcome. Let Jesus come. Give you hope. Paul wrote to his other disciple, Titus, and he said this. We look forward with hope. Why? Because it's all about an expectancy down the road. The second candle is peace. It talks there about having peace with God in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. When you have peace with God, then you can experience what Philippians 4 says, the peace of God through every situation, circumstance that you face. And when you get those things and you have hope, can I tell you something? Life doesn't get easier, but it gets easier to get through it. But everything, loved ones, starts with Jesus. I want you to bow your heads. and This whole season is not about some kind of warm and fuzzy, let's enjoy this little baby in a manger. It's all about a man who came to live and die for our sins, to bring us peace and to give us the ultimate hope in the present and for eternity. And if you have never 
embraced Jesus Christ, never said, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, I would give you the, I want to encourage you to do that today. To say, I know I need a Savior. This is not just some kind of an easy decision that's meant to be flippant. This is what I tell you. It does not take much of a person to follow Jesus, but it will take all of you to follow him. You can be weak, but if you give yourself to him, you'll make it. You can be strong, but if you hedge and you just want to give a little part here and there, you won't make it. It's going to take all of you. It is not an easy road because when you face these kinds of tribulations and pressings and crushings, you will want to give up unless you know you have a hope beyond here and now and that God is at work in you for something greater. Ah, then you can make it. But if you want that hope, if you want that peace, then I'm going to invite you just when we're finishing up here some point in time before you leave, just on your bulletin, on your program, tear off the slip and just say, I committed to Jesus today. I want to experience hope and peace in my life. Or maybe you need to make a recommitment. I don't know. But this is a great season, the Advent, to do it. Just take a moment there and kind of evaluate where you need hope. Do you need Jesus? Father, as we come right now, I just pray for these people. I ask, Lord, that if there's someone here that has been without hope, that they would press into you and receive the hope that you have for them. If a person has never acknowledged you as the savior of the world, of mankind, and more importantly, their life, that maybe today would be that day and that they would step forward and they would say, today, I'm gonna make that decision. It all starts with a decision. So, Lord, begin to do that, I pray. In your name, amen.